Welcome, friends. To sketchy ideas. Welcome back. Wait, are you doing it or am I doing it? This is the part. Handoffs. Uh, you know, yeah, I, directions yeah. and yeah, we, you did <laughs> yours. You you go. You go. The importance yeah. of flow charts. <laughs> You've just proven a point. Perfect. We just we did. I love it. I love it. You <laughs> completely inadvertently. Brad, take it. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Sketchy Ideas, the live video podcast where we illustrate and debate and discuss concepts surrounding business, personal development, personal growth, leadership, sales, marketing, you name it. We talk about it, even movies here and there. Uh, and the point of this is to remember, you got to think twice before you implement that crazy idea you just found on the interwebs. Hi, I am Brad James. My turn now. And I am Michael Rampola. And now it's your turn. <laughs> and we are your hosts. And today we illustrated exactly the reason why flowcharts are very important. But before we dive into that, a word from our sponsors, Mr. Rampola. So I'm excited today to announce a new sponsor for our show here, and that is the United Performing Arts Fund. The United Performing Arts Fund, also known as UPAF here in the Milwaukee area, has been setting the stage since 1967 by providing critical investment to our region's vibrant performing arts scene. You know, a lot of the country had a really tough time in the pandemic. The, all of the, the arts scene in Milwaukee stayed thriving because of the support of the United Performing Arts Fund and the support of people like you donating to that fund who then supports its many, many member organizations. You know, the arts do a lot for our community and do a lot not only for the people that go to see those shows, but for having that vibrant dynamic community. You can support that community by donating United Performing Arts Fund. Very simple. Go to upaf.org slash donate and you can make your contribution there. In future episodes, we'll tell a little bit more about their story, but I'm excited to announce I'm supporting this show because this is a performing art, this, this podcasting that we do. So thank you to the United Performing Arts Fund and we're excited to support you as well. Over to Brad. Well, this is performing. I don't know if it's art. But yes, we'll, we'll go enough. with that. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> uh, our other sponsor is Cream City Marketing. It's the beginning of the year. If you haven't kicked off those marketing plans or those, those plans for you to grow your business via marketing, uh, whatever that means to you, whether it's traditional or digital or whatever, um, time to start that, that work. Uh, it takes some time. It takes some planning. If you don't know what you're doing, do me a favor. Hit up my friend Erin over at Cream City Marketing by emailing her at Erin at CreamCityMarketing.com. All right. And with that, we're diving in. Uh, at the beginning of the show, you saw our confusion of who was supposed to speak and the order of things. Um, and, you know, we, we had some hiccups today. So that happens. Hence why flowcharts are awesome if you use them. Uh, if you don't, guess what? You're going to learn today. All right. Michael, so this is where um, Brad. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to Brad. You love your procedure documentation. I do. I, do. I, I this that, but I between Brad's proper order of procedure sheets and what we're gonna talk about in decision trees is it's important to know that not everything everything doesn't always go as or. Sometimes along the way, there are decisions that need to be made. And when I originally learned flowcharts, I think when I first looked at a flowchart, triangles, diagrams, arrows go this way, yes and no's, 
they can look really daunting and really overwhelming. And I think be a well-designed one is great and actually makes things easier, but a poorly designed one can really turn people off to the whole idea about that being a valuable oh, way yeah. to approach any process. A poorly designed flowchart basically yeah. gives all flowcharts a bad name. So <laughs> when I first learned how to do it, it's a thing, right? It's like, it, it's like we, we all have that, that experience that like, I'll never go do that ever again. And it's really because this, uh -huh. the, the one thing happened, the one, yeah, that. So like a that yeah. one story. Yes. Yes. One time I, I, I call that the one guy rule. This one guy did this one thing this one time. And now we have a rule to make sure that that never happens again. Right. Some people say I never yeah. use flowcharts yeah. because one time it led me astray or something, but I think that's why they get a bad rap. The other reason they get a bad rap is I don't think people designed them kind of in the right way. Mm -hmm. The way that I've, that I've seen flowcharts designed well is instead of designing all of the complications in first, design the simple version first. Design the if everything goes well version first, because that's what we want anyway. So if we design for mm -hmm. ideal state, which I know we don't always recommend that, but if we design starting there and then branch off, I think we're in, in a better spot. That's, that's been my yes. experience. What, have you run into that same thing where people get overly complicated overly quickly? Yeah, I, I think I think that innately we as human beings go, hey, but what about this? What about this? What if, what if, what if, what if? Rather than understanding the basis of it first, right? So it's it's the premise of why I I try to make sure everything is documented when it's a process that's going to be repeated. And I go, look, it's not going to be perfect. Just document and update it every time you need to update it and make it a practice and a habit. Um, so much so that that when when I work with clients on this stuff, I go, look, if you get everybody in your company documenting one process a week, however that is, right, you will have you will have a workbook by the end of the year that everybody can follow. Even and and that's where your your flowchart stuff comes into play because some people want it visually, some people want it in words, other people want right so. With your flowcharts, though, I think sometimes if people try to go too complicated, they just go, I'm not doing this. Exactly. Or they get halfway in and they get confused. They just they don't finish it out. They just back all the way out or scrap it completely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what we're trying to avoid. I, I there's a value in it. Yeah. Go, what was the other thing that you've run into with, with why, why process documentation doesn't work or why flowcharts get a bad rap? I think flowcharts also get a bad rap because uh, one, people don't know, they, they, they worry so much about the end deliverable, right? So how they look. Yeah. So like people like me who, who are great artists, uh, but really, really struggle to put our art into a digital format that other people can appreciate and understand. <laughs> Please go on. <laughs> I think... I think sometimes when, when, when your art is underappreciated and people don't use it or look at it, they, they, don't, they don't want to, to follow through and do it themselves because they see all the work that gets put in into the, the motif. <laughs> Sorry, I can't, I can't keep going. <laughs> I can't I do appreciate it. that you tried. You tried. That's why I looked away. I'm like, I can't, I can't make eye contact. If I make eye contact, it's going to crack. <laughs> I love that you, I love that you couldn't even hold it for yourself. So uh, <laughs> assuming flowcharts are an underappreciated art form, 
which I think is the premise. Yes. You're floating. <laughs> this is great. Um, well, okay, so let's let's make flowcharts. We're going to make flowcharts fun again. So I'm going to I'm going to introduce two different ideas. First idea was that thing I said, which is design the ideal state first. Now, those that have worked in flowcharts before, originally I heard this. I'm just going to make the reference called the happy path. It's if everything goes exactly as we intended, that's flowchart number one. That flowchart might not actually have any. Well, okay, triangles or diamonds. Sometimes these are called the decision diamonds. So a basic happy path flowchart is just going to be that series of squares, this, this, and this, and then this. One big, you know, arrow all the way through. And then, you know, we all yep. have, we're all happy we all win. Yep. What I want people to remember is each of these is just a headline. It's a headline for other things, right? It's the high level. So yep. back to our, our outline view, we've got, you know, Roman numerals and letters and numbers, one, two, three. Yep. Start with just like when you're outlining, start your flow charts with the highest level stuff. Yep. And then where you where you've got variables or where you've got other details, then you can get into your tier two and your tier three parts of the process. But I think people start like bad process documentation, or excuse me, overly complex process documentation. I think people start getting all the way down to the numerals before they even have an understanding of that overall scope. So Designing yeah. better flowcharts and decision trees. Part one is start at the highest level. Keep it simple at first. Michael, how can how can people, uh, you know, in your in your head as you're doing it, how do you maintain that as you're going through a process? Well, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do a, a little uh, Reddit reference here. Um, the explain like I'm five. I don't know if you if you've gotcha. run into that subthread. So if you had to explain this to somebody much younger than you, explain like mm -hmm. I'm five, like you really have to bring it down. There's actually a really cool series of videos on YouTube. Same concept explained at multiple different levels of complication. I don't know if you've run into that. We'll um, give that to, uh, to Nicole to find a reference and we'll drop it in the show notes. But it's like quantum physics explained to a five-year-old, a 15-year-old, you know, college student and an adult. And seeing how that same concept can be broken down at those different levels. I'm going to give a quick shout out to my wife, Jennifer, who is the master of explaining like I'm five. I am not good at this, but since we have two literal five-year-olds who are about to be six this month, um, she's been doing this since forever. She is amazing at simplifying very complex things. And they go, oh, okay, I get it. And then they give it back to me. I mean, when a, when a four-year-old says, Dada, it's the water cycle. Oh, okay. Like, okay. in the, you know, like, like I should know, like in he, when he can say that and he actually knows what he's talking about, clearly there's some magic at play in the, in the, the world that's happening you know, above me right now. But explain like I'm five forces you to get out of complicated and into the simple. And you typically stay at a higher level. You know, what is sales? Well, sales is a process, but sales is getting somebody to say, I want to buy that. Yep. I mean, if I'm going to be super simple about it, right? Sales is when somebody... It has something that somebody else wants and they agree on the price for it. Yep. And then they collect the money. Right? No. And then exactly. we collect the money. Right. Sorry. And then we and then the money in the service or product exchange. Done. Yep. That's the simplest thing. Now we could make it more complicated. We've done multiple shows on it, but obviously that would be the simplest thing in the world. So keep it simple on purpose. Stay high level. Pretend you're pretend it's like an introductory course and you literally have to explain it faster. That's the other thing. If you can explain it faster, you often have to explain it more simply. There you so go. stay yeah. high level, yep. stay fast, those kinds of ideas. 
once you've got some basic levels, um, I think then you can start getting into any of the decision points where there are variables. So when you get into the variables, then I like to apply the old, uh, I like to apply the 20% rule, kind of a variation on 80-20, where identify how often there is a variable there. How often does it not go as planned? And when you identify how often it doesn't go as planned, then you can identify which parts of your process get your attention first for coming up with the variables and the, and the secondary and tertiary processes. So if it's less, if it's less than 20% of the time, there is an exception, don't worry about it yet. Yep. And then eventually you might hit, you might be able to worry about it, but we're trying to minimize variables. So when you get, then when you get to decisions, rather than identifying the outcome, I guess there's two different ways to go at the decisions, either what's the decision that needs to be made or what's the outcome of, of depending on what I decide. Right. And I think okay. depending so on like the yes decision no. you have to make. Right. Right. Like, yeah, like it yes could be yes. No right. Most people just think that's a yes or no. And they think of lots of decisions as binary like that. It's yes or it's no. Right. But a lot of decisions aren't so, or if I had to do yes or no, I would do an infinite number of no's. So yes or no. Well, the answer is yes, we got it. No. Okay. Well then what's our next set of options? There's the yes. And then there's a no. Well, if it's not that yes or no, then it's this one. And then they just get down and that right. becomes overly complex because I keep trying to get a yes. Correct. Yep. That's, yep. that's, that's that way to look at it is I think the simplest, but I think again, that can get complex quickly instead of identifying almost like think of a drop down list instead of a yes or no. I have to keep okay. looking for a yes. Think of it like a drop down. So um, I, we, we teased uh, the topic for today and I said, how to order a better martini because when I think of, so um, former bartender, love bartending. I think it's fascinating. Love that job. I would still do it if I, if I had just absolutely all the free time in the world and didn't have, you know, work and family obligations, that's a fun job. It's just a blast for me. And martinis are one of those things that everybody kind of knows about, but they're kind of mysterious, right? Which is, I think, one of the reasons that people like order. But if you go to, like, to the original martini, it's actually just a series of decisions. And knowing the decisions you need to make is going to help you make the order. So and a martini is, by definition, a cocktail. A cocktail means it is primarily alcohol. Your, yes. The other category of drink is a highball, which is a Jack and Coke or a seven and seven or a whiskey sour or a gin and tonic. The name of the drink is the recipe for the drink. That's a highball. Cocktails is almost all alcohol. So first question in a martini is which alcohol do you want? I'm not going to say, do you want vodka? Okay. Yes or no. Do you want gin? Yes or no. Cause that's more complex than it needs to be. So we go gin or vodka. That's decision number one. Next question is on the vermouth. Now, this is where things get tricky because it's dry vermouth. Mm -hmm. And dry vermouth is funny. You, you, know, you know this one, right? So if I say I want a martini, I mean, I, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. implying the dry vermouth. If I say I want a dry martini, what does that mean? Uh, I don't know. Correct. So somebody, somebody say I want a dry martini. Dry mar martinis are dry by definition. Now that makes no sense because it's, right. it's a beverage. I get that. I get that it's made yeah. out of liquids. Yeah. Right. So there's standard dry. There's dry. Gotcha. There's yep. extra dry. Um, yeah. And then there's another category which was nicknamed the Winston Churchill. Which there's I'll get back to that one in a second. In a standard martini, I'm going to get about two ounces of the chosen yep. alcohol. 
And in a dry martini, I'm going to get about a half to a quarter, probably a half an ounce of dry vermouth. Yep. yep. A dry martini means I actually want less dry vermouth. This is where it gets tricky. Because it's because it's a sweet, you know, liqueur of sorts. Because yeah. vermouth is yeah. right, a fortified wine, correct? Where extra yep. dry, it's yep. like an eighth or it's a couple drops, basically. Winston Churchill, Winston yeah. Churchill said, "I just want the bartender to glance across the bar at the vermouth." <laughs> that's that's how dry he liked his martinis. So right. extra dry. So now I'm just like, is that good? I like that one. Or the like the, 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 the whisper the word vermouth over the top of the glass. Just don't even don't even bother. So there's your next question: Is how dry do you want it? Another question is garnish. And this is where you've got lots of options, right? And yep. this is where I might start stacking decisions. So Brad, how if you were going to have a martini? Um, what, what garnishes might you choose? I would have a dirty martini. Oh, you got a whole other. Okay, you got a whole other set of variables over here. Okay. Sorry. Variables. See, now I just made it way too complicated. No, it's great. No, it's perfect. It's good because now, but now did I, no, I didn't throw this thing off. I just said, okay, over here, we're going to have some extra variables that are less common, but might yes. come up. Yes. Love it. Okay. Um, so, but, okay, so that implies you're going to want some olives. And now if I'm at olives, I got to decide, okay, am I doing your standard pimento? Am I uh, blue cheese stuffed? Um, I guess what else could I do for olives? Those are typically the options. Blue cheese stuffed or a standard pimento or... Garlic. Probably about Garlic. It. Garlic. There we go. Good. Yep. That is the thing. Okay, so there's my olives. I could do a twist, typically a lemon mm -hmm. twist. I could do an onion, which actually makes the yep. drink a Gibson, but that's a whole other conversation. So sometimes <laughs> these result in different outcomes. This is olives. Um, you didn't think got, you'd be so, learning how to mix the drink on today's Sketchy Ideas show, did you? Well, Sketchy Ideas and Mixology, we, you know, we aim to please. It's, <laughs> that's why we're here. Uh, okay, so then I've got... Um, I've got how I want it served, right? Basics mm -hmm. are up and down. Okay, so when people say up, that's the in the martini glass. Down yep. means on the rocks in the glass. So up and down are my two basic serving options here. Um, let's see what else is there. And then I guess there might be preparation because most of you are thinking James Bond right now. I can't help, I can't help you. That's fine. That's how <laughs> most people think of it, right? Shaken, not stirred was the Shaken, not classic, stirred. Right? Shaken Esther. Do you know why that matters? This is this is one of my fascinating things that I learned when I took my mixology course. Do you know why that matters? Yeah. Because if you're shaking okay. it, you're adding air into the mixture. And it's typically shaken over ice. So you're also chilling it in a very different manner than you are if you're stirring it. So correct. Um, yeah, those two things adjust the flavors depending on what ingredients you're putting in it. So if, I don't know if, if, for those of you who I do enjoy a good martini, um, the difference in flavor is significant because in a stirred martini, uh, you're not going to get as much uh, water or air in it, which means that it's going to be slightly stronger than you would. It's going to taste stronger than if you shake it. Very nice. See? See? Hey, I may not know how to make drinks like you, but I sure know how to uh, enjoy them. Well, that's good. Okay, so are you a vodka or a gin person? 
depends on the night. Okay, so so this um, is so we go back to here. So we could ask people. This is something I learned in bartending. I could ask you, do you want gin or vodka? If I if they don't have an immediate answer, I need a follow up question. Yes. Right. So well, gin is there, more botanical, is right? There's way more, more flavor in gin. Correct. Yeah. So do you like to taste yeah. your alcohol? Might be one of the questions oh, I yeah. ask. Or oh, yeah. do you enjoy exactly. chewing on pine boughs? Might be another question I ask. So <laughs> going to tell me whether or not you want the juniper and the botanicals of gin. Here's what's cool about gin. Because the way gin is, is distilled and made, shaking the gin does what's called bruises the gin. Do you know you can bruise your gin? I, I can bruise a, my chin plenty, but I didn't know I could bruise my gin. Well, enough bruised gin turns into a bruised chin, but that's a different episode again. So shaking the gin bruises the gin. It brings out more of the botanicals. Not, <laughs> not only do I do I want the flavor, but I want a lot of the flavor. So that feels very James Bond, right? Shake, shake yeah, that gin, bruise it up, beat it up for me a little bit. Mm -hmm. Make sure I taste it. Yeah. Now I would then I, now that I've got the variables forgotten, now I got to put them all into, into into a proper sequence. Now you introduced whether I want it dirty, which is a whole other thing. Um, there's also other other glass preparations. If I'm doing not a basic, you know, am I doing something with the, with the rim or some other, um, you know, some other additive? So there's a lot of other things, but that comes up less often. So I'm going to try to stick to this yeah. to start. Yep. And then it's getting into a logical order. Because in some of these cases, there's not going to be a need. So does it matter if I shake it or stir it? Whether it's I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that if it's in a glass. I'm not going to shake or stir. I'm just going to pour it over the rocks, right? It's going to right. determine my my glass type. This decision here is going to determine, you know, rocks glass versus you know stem flute martini glass. By the way, most so people don't the, don't actually drink their martinis over rocks anymore. That I've seen. Is, Right, because most people just say martini and they say martini. What they're implying is I've already made another decision, which is I really want that glass. I want fancy glass. Yes, exactly. Like the fancy glass. So yeah. that's where you have to understand uh, sometimes decisions imply other decisions or preclude other options. And that's where building flowcharts mm -hmm. gets a little more complex. But it's why I encourage you not to make it complex at first. Set it up gotcha. as, a, as a set okay. of decisions and then build it back because then I can see what that does or does not allow or include or remove. Whereas yep. if I tried to figure that all up front, now I've got those arrows that are crossing over each other and my Visio sheet just doubled in size and I needed to add colors because I lost track of stuff. And that's where flowcharts get a better app and people get on out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why now, people if we don't do this like right, well, I, I, I didn't say anything about your art. You, your art is just underappreciated. I think clearly, clearly, clearly under yes. appreciate undervalued as an NFT is Brad's art. Yes. Um, that is true. It's true. <laughs> so the, the idea here is you want better outcomes, right? You want to make these decisions easier for people to follow, easier for people to get the outcome that they want by helping mm -hmm. them see the decisions that they need to make to get there. Yep. Right. That's one. That's I think it's important to understand. So. We said flowcharts, but again, the other thing, the way to think about this is just as a series of decisions. So that's why the other idea here is what I sometimes call a decision tree. Yeah. And I think I think what you're drawing here is, is that work into a flowchart. Well. That's probably what most people are seeing is this decision decision tree. Um, but 
But I think what is important for people to understand that each of these decisions also happens in a chronological order. Yes, exactly. And building those into a logical chronological order, it's interesting because the way you might order the drink and the way I, I as the producer of that drink need to hear it is actually potentially different. Right, because yep. my sequence of building based on I'm going to get the I'm going to get the answers, and I'm going to have to reverse engineer that a little bit into a proper series of uh, sequence of steps that might not follow the way that you order it. Yep. So that's yep. where these that's where it's it's important to understand that flowcharts have two often have multiple audiences. They, they they there's the user, there's the there's the the receiver of the of the output, there's the inputter, all of those different things, and. I don't want it to be more complex than it needs to be. I want people to understand that it's worth figuring out because once you do figure it out, the efficiencies and the consistencies it creates are worth the time put in on the front end. And I know that that's a lot of things where it's worth it. And I know I'm basically just saying it's worth it. Um, and you know, trust me. But I think so often we don't recognize how often we are remaking decisions and the inefficiencies that come from having to constantly remake those decisions. Well, and that's, and that's why flowcharts are very important, right? Like they're in, in a daily task. Like if you look at your whole day, um, remember when I, we broke out like a calendar day and discipline and how that's, there are chunks of each of those days that you're not actually like, don't think, just follow the steps and have the decisions be made. Because there is this thing that it's decision-making fatigue. Um, oh, so real. So real. Yep. And it happens a lot. And so many people go, well, that's not true. And I go, no, it's, it's very real. And it's, it ends up being the difference between people who can be extremely productive and the people who are not. Because the people right. who are not are constantly um, having to make even small decisions, right? Like one of the arguments that you got to look at, like, yeah, food, food prep, right? The reason like people argue all the time about what you want to eat in, 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 in my household, we go, look, one of us is going to make these decisions and we're just going to stick with it because there's no need to argue through this stuff. Now, those nights where right. those decisions are not made end up being a little bit of a terror because it's the end of the day. A lot of decisions have been already been made that day. And you'll wonder yeah. why you get into an argument with, with, whomever you're discussing your food options with. <laughs> and so then you have to take an alternate approach and that takes way more time. And then people get more hangry, yes. you know, hangry yep. is yep. a real it thing. Right? So yep. yeah, it, it perpetuates it. So yeah. if you can, if you can find ways to build flow charts into your day, when those arguments come up about dinner, you'll have more energy to handle it the appropriate way. That's that's the long and the short of today's. Episode. There's your value. There's there's your why this matters. No, you're right. It's I, and then I you can make joke. you can make your your significant other a drink at the same time because now you know. Hey, how. wins wins. Yeah, we should we'll, we'll do a full on tutorial the next time. Um, no, I think you're right. I mean, when some sometimes when people at the end of their day literally say, "I don't know," it's it's an it's accurate. I literally yeah. cannot know or decide. My brain is it's it's spent. So creating yeah. simple things that either make the decisions easy and obvious to, to figure out what the decision is that needs to be made. And by the way, let me just jump quick. Ahead. If you run things like this often enough and you track what decisions get made, now you can find trends 
And from trends, you can create efficiencies. And from there, you can say, well, let's just eliminate that other option and go with this. The number of times that somebody's going to order a garlic stuffed olive is so infinitesimal that I'm probably just going to stop offering it, for example. Yep. Right. And maybe yep. dirty martinis are, are big and they are, by the way. So therefore, I'm going to make sure that I am ready to prepare them quickly and easily instead of a secondary sub process needed. So I'm just going to like get the olive juice, which is literally what we would do. We'd actually take the olive juice out of the big jar and put it into a smaller dispenser bottle. Because it used to be when somebody mm -hmm. wants a dirty martini, I'm hauling the big olive jar out of the case, unscrewing the lid, yep. carefully pouring some into a lid, <laughs> carefully, yeah, without spilling exactly. any olives in the process, right? And that's just silly. <laughs> because it's like, okay, I, I've done that thing far too many times. There's got to be a better efficiency here. And granted, from experience, there's got to be a better way. way. There's got to be a better way. This is, why do you do it that way? Well, that's the way we've always done it, right? But if you find the trends, then you can find the efficiencies. And decision trees, if you run them right and actually track decisions that get made, will enable you to track trends and therefore find even more efficiencies and more consistency. So there's secondary and tertiary benefits of this as well. We should talk about that next week then. I think that that's a great segue into next week's episode. Love um, it. Let's do it. Yeah. So, so next week, we're going to dive into that yeah. more. Uh, we are at our 30 minutes. And, and since there we, we started a little late, hey. We're going we're gonna to move on to next us. week. We're going to continue this. Yeah. yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, good episode. And uh, go enjoy a dirty martini shaken uh, with some good gin. And, uh, you know, just, you don't, you don't need half an ounce of vermouth. Go, go quarter of an ounce. You'll be good. Easy. Add, a little, add a little extra dirty to it, you know. I got nothing on top of that. Thanks, folks, for being here. We appreciate you. Uh, join us next week with another episode of Sketchy Ideas, where we explore how to identify the trends and the decisions that are getting made and which martini recipe truly is the best. In the meantime, send us your questions, your ideas, your interest to Sketchy Ideas Show, excuse me, info at Sketchy Ideas Show, and our producer will get back to you. And in the meantime, remember, just because it's a sketchy idea doesn't mean it's not worth exploring. And we will see you next time.